Today, Paul Sager of King's College London comes by to talk about sex with dead chickens, incest, blackface, and child sex dolls. I'm Cliff Mark. This is Good in Theory. Today on Good in Theory, we have Paul Sagar back, our Thrasymachus from the book one of Republic. He's a political theorist at King's College London, and we decided to try a little mini-series about thought experiments. Now, philosophers love thought experiments. You don't have to buy a lab or go uh, interview people. What you do in a thought experiment is you dream up some kind of situation. You start thinking about what you think about it. You ask other people, and the idea is that these hypothetical or abstract real situations can help you get clear on specific aspects of different political questions you want to explore. Is that is that about right, Paul? Yeah, I think that that certainly gives us a good idea of what we're starting out with, but it might be helpful to use an example. And uh, you've brought an example that you like to use in class? Yeah, that's right. So the the question I like to ask my students is, is it wrong to have sex with the chicken? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Or more Um, more precisely, in fact, straight away, I should qualify that as a good philosopher and be more precise. Specifically, is it wrong to have sex with a dead chicken? Well, (laughs) that, that uh, that was going to be my first question. This specific question is like a very famous thought experiment, particularly in psychology circles. So there's a guy called Jonathan Haidt. He made a lot of this thought experiment. So we are going to run it. I'm going to role play at the beginning the student who finds it reprehensible to have sex with the dead chicken. And so Professor Sagar, that's disgusting. Of course it's wrong to have sex with a chicken. You're going to harm the chicken. Well, maybe not. It's dead. But did you did you kill the chicken to have sex with it? No, no, no. The the chicken died of natural causes. So that no no chickens were actively harmed for the end of having sex with them. The chicken died you know, uh, naturally of of natural causes. It wasn't okay. It wasn't bred as a sex chicken, but still, this is wrong. Like it's unhygienic. You could catch a disease from this. I mean, and that's certainly true, and that's a risk. But luckily, the the person in this this thought experiment um, who we're imagining here has taken precautions accordingly. They froze the uh, the carcass of the chicken specifically to kill off any bacteria, and they in fact take great precautions using antiseptic wipes, antibacterial hand wash, and uh, of course uh, prophylactics to ensure that there is no dangers of transmission. So so there's no harm <laughs> to the individual. So we can specify that the chicken wasn't mm-hmm. harmed. And we're taking every precaution. The person in question is taking every precaution <laughs> to avoid harm. So, so, so there's no harm here. It kind of amazed me that the first two things you thought to make the chicken safe, the chicken sex safe, was to freeze it <laughs> and to use wipes rather than to put on a condom. But okay, um, I, I got there. <laughs> yeah, you got there. You got there. So. Um, I still am not convinced that uh, that really meets my problem with having sex with a dead chicken. And I think that 
like you shouldn't have sex with a dead chicken. What if someone sees you? What if like uh, a a child walks by the window and and sees you fucking this uh, chicken carcass? Yeah, that that's a fair concern. But I think we can eliminate that as well as part of our procedure here. We say, okay, well the curtains are drawn, right? And the person who does this act, they make sure they take great pains to ensure that no passerby could see this. They lock all their doors and windows. They draw their curtains. They do it in a room where there's no chance of anybody uh, seeing them because they realize that you know, other people might not like this. So they want to be careful here and they are very careful and ensure that nobody is going to witness this act it's totally private okay so look having sex with a dead chicken is is wrong maybe you don't harm someone but it just it just seems wrong okay but why does it seem wrong what is it about it about the situation. So we've, we've specified that no one's being harmed. The chicken isn't being harmed. The chicken died of natural causes. The person involved isn't going to harm themselves. No one's going to witness this. It seems as though there is no identifiable problem here. So if you're feeling that there's nonetheless something wrong about this, we need to try and locate that. So maybe there's some other things in play that you might, you might have um, of a concern here. Okay. At this point, I just want to step out of my character as troubled student and ask you to explain what it is you're trying to accomplish by this kind of interaction in class. So, so what I try and do is get them to position the, the to the position that you just role played, right? Which is some of them want to say "ooh," and, and well, actually, all of them want to say "ooh," right? At first, they try to maneuver the mechanics of the thought experiment to try and find a reason why what they're saying isn't just ooh, but that's wrong. So harm is an obvious place to first look, right? So it, harming chickens is bad, right? We can all agree harm the chickens is bad. So we eliminate that from the thought experiment. So like if the chicken isn't being harmed, okay, so that one's out. So that's not going to serve as a justification. Right. The second is, okay, well, harm to the person fucking the chicken, right? So that's an obvious place to go as well. Okay, well causing harm to yourself is wrong, so that justifies my sense of moo. But uh-huh. I eliminate that through the antibacterial wipes and the use of condoms, right? Then there's the, well, the harm to third parties, which, you know, we eliminate that by saying the curtains are drawn. And what we're trying to do here is get to a position where we're focused on specifically the act of having intercourse with a dead chicken and nothing else. So right so you still we still are saying ooh right but we've taken away all the reasons that people think of first to good, explain good. why. And at that point when we've taken all those reasons and I focused everybody down onto the very specific claim because all these other things are get outs they're all ways of of trying to change the scenario and find answers that fit what people want to say when you first pose the question but you try and control all that which is what a good thought experiment does and you you focus on the very specific thing we want to talk about here, which is, is the act of intercourse with a dead chicken in and of itself wrong? And by this point, everyone in the room is pretty agreed that it's an ooh thing, right? That they don't like mm-hmm. it. But then I ask, not what you would do, but is it right for somebody else to do it? And here in my classes, and we should talk in a minute, and I think we will talk in a minute about how this varies in different contexts. But in my classes, I ask people to put their hands up. And about 70% of students say, I don't like it. I wouldn't do it. But if that person really isn't harming anybody else, no one's going to look through the window. The chicken died of natural causes. They're not going to harm themselves. It's gross, but it's their right to do that. And so it's not morally mm-hmm. wrong. It's just, it's just disgusting. 
about 30% of them, the other 30% stick to their guns. And they say, not only does it make me feel, but there is something morally wrong here. And then it gets really interesting because, because not only do you have a split between those who want to say, well, look, you know, I wouldn't do it, but you know, each to their own as long as you're not harming others. And those who want to say, no, there's more to morality than that. And what's very interesting is when you push the students on what it is, you actually get some really interesting answers. And okay. Yeah. Like, like what? Well, well, the, the, yeah. the most convincing answer I've heard, and it made me change my mind about this. So originally when I read the thought experiment in the Jonathan Haidt book, which we'll go on to talk about, um, I was with, you know, the kind of 70% students look, look, you know, it's not what I would do, but it's, you know, it's gross, but people have a right to do gross things as long as it's in private. And then some of my students said to me, it was a couple of years ago, I first ran this thought experiment. They said, no, because it disrespects the body of the chicken. Right? And I was like, what do you mean by that? Well, they say, well, that was a living creature. And as a living creature, it's owed a certain level of respect, even in death. So there are certain things that you should and shouldn't do, even if nobody is being harmed. Harm does not exhaust all there is to say about morality in these kind of situations. And I thought that was really interesting because that actually chimed with me. And I thought, now there is something there. Now, I'm, now there are lots of complicated questions about whether I should stop other people from having sex with dead chicken, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But it did seem to me that those students were right to say that, that even if those people should still be allowed to do it, what they're doing may nonetheless be something I would want to call wrong. And what, what's interesting is when I've quizzed students about this, those who usually initially go for that answer and stick to their guns about it tend to be either vegetarians or people mm -hmm. from a religious background and often people from the Indian subcontinent where the idea of animal bodies having a certain sanctity is much stronger than in a Western tradition. Right. So you mentioned cultural differences and religious differences but Haidt also found even class differences, right, within the same city. So he was working at Penn, and then he goes across the street a few miles away to West Philadelphia in a much more working-class neighborhood, and he gets a totally different set of answers from this Ivy League university because on this side of the tracks, we don't fuck chickens, right? Yeah, and that's all there is to say about it, right? And I like that experiment, that thought experiment, because one, it's quite quite silly, but also shows you how to how to narrow the scope. But it actually tells us something, which is that um, people like you and me, because I have the same kind of response to you, is like, man, I don't care if you want to fuck a dead chicken, like that's gross, but pff, whatever. We're the minority. That actually, when you go and find this out, so when you actually do a bit of real world empirical stuff, when you get off out of the armchair and actually go and test more than more than just your own intuitions. You can actually find something out. There's an important point there that that thought experiment has its full value when it's, when it's used with empirical research. Right, and that doesn't mean just doing another psychology study on campus because university undergrads are right. an exception, right? They are what Haidt calls WEIRD, acronym W-E-I-R-D, and that stands for... Western, educated, industrial, rich and democratic. Something like that. And so Haidt's point is that these weird people who are Northern Western Europeans, especially Americans, and then there's a class vector, so yeah. especially rich Americans, especially college students, they're weird. They're the ones who have an abstract harm-based morality. Yeah. So they're the ones who are kind of okay with fucking a chicken if it doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> and yeah. the more you're not part of those groups, the more likely you are to say it's just wrong 
to fuck the chicken for other reasons, even if it's not harmful. Yeah. And the weird people tend to turn up a lot in university classrooms, in Western universities, and there they may be the majority, but overall they're actually a minority. Yeah. So I think I have two questions. And the first one's from the point of view of the students who are really against fucking chickens. So the people who are not weird. If you've got this group, it's a minority in the classroom, a majority in society, and they have these genuine, serious moral misgivings about sex with a chicken's corpse, isn't it going to be really uncomfortable and unpleasant for them to be talking about it in class and you hear all these weird liberal bourgeois kids just laughing and joking about fucking the chicken and giggling? Yeah. This just seems to me a very cringe, uncomfortable situation. No? I mean, in a way, that's another useful point to bring up about thought experiments, though. One thing that I, again, that I always try to instill in my students right at the start of their first year is when you do philosophy, sometimes you have to go to really uncomfortable places. And thought experiments can be useful for that because they can allow us to suspend our normal moral convictions to explore scenarios which, prima facie, you know, in advance, we definitely you know, know what we think about that. But right. thought experiments can help us check if we do think what we think we think. That makes sense. And also if we want to be confident about the reasons why we think what we claim. And that can sometimes mean being uncomfortable. You know, if you if you mm-hmm. really care about the sanctity of chickens, then that might not be a fun thought experiment to run. But it might teach you something about why you think chickens are sanct you know, have have a sanctity. It might teach you that uh-huh. actually you don't think that. Maybe upon reflection, you you realize that, well, you know, the chicken's dead and and it's gonna be eaten anyway. So what difference does it make if if you have sex with it? So it could go in the other direction too. Okay, good. I like that. I think you do have to get uncomfortable to advance in your philosophical beliefs. But let me ask you another question from the other side, which is if you get one of these weird students, one of these hyper-rationalist types who are always looking for answers and harm-based moralities, they recognize that there are these other people who think fucking a dead chicken is wrong, even though no one gets harmed. They notice that they're kind of from what you call a religious mindset. And so they say, well, these people, they're just superstitious. They're just giving reasons based on religion, emotion, feelings of disgust. And in a liberal free society, we need to give each other reasons. And so we don't have to listen to these kind of superstitious ideas about the sanctity of the body of a chicken. So this is a difficult one because I think I'm almost, I'm torn in some ways because part of me feels a certain ethical affinity with the because I'm you know acronym weird and I have the kind of intuitions that well you know it's not for me but uh, no one's being hurt here and I kind of subscribe to the idea of no one's being hurt then do what you like. On the other hand, I wouldn't want to make the sort of hostile offense like offensive as in like you know offense defense move of saying well therefore these people don't matter and they should be disregarded. To some extent, because I think part of the job of philosophy is to understand moral phenomena, not simply to go around dictating what's right and what's wrong and who should do what and who mm-hmm. shouldn't and who's mm-hmm. rational and who's irrational, but understanding that if, well, if to a huge proportion of the population, it really does matter that you shouldn't have sex with dead chickens, uh-huh. then that's data about how morality functions for these people that I, A, would at least want to be aware of and B, I'd want to know, well, why 
do they feel like that? And maybe they have a point, right? And actually, I think this was true uh, when I ran this experiment for the first few times with my students. And one of my very bright students just said, but look, you know, it's, there's just, it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the animal, to the body of the uh-huh. animal. And I suddenly thought, I agree with that. I, I <laughs> thought that I was fully, you know, well, harm principle and it's not, it's not for me and, you know, I wouldn't do it. And I think on balance, I still wouldn't necessarily condemn somebody who did that as being morally in the wrong. I might think it was disgusting. But one yeah. of the reasons I think it was disgusting was because it, there's a certain respect accorded to living creatures, even in death. Okay, you have some sympathy for this view, but I want to push a little more in that direction because these experiments, the dead chicken and so on, they're moral confounding experiments. Yeah. The idea is to give people an intuition that they can't explain using their usual reasons like the harm principle. Yeah. And so the problem with the chicken example is that you get people like you and me who don't have especially strong intuitions either way about the chicken. Yeah. So are there other thought experiments that you can elicit that kind of intuition that isn't easily explainable um, by harm? Yeah, it's hard to think off the top of my head. Um, But, well, I suppose incest might be one, right? So incest Uh is a taboo that's still pretty strong, um, even amongst people who take themselves to be, you know, uh, it's only about reason and, and, you know, and, and you say, well, uh-huh. you know, if, if the, the consenting brother and sister um, are, you are using contraception and there's no chance of you know, creating a, a deformed baby, uh, then, you know. So this is uh, another example from Jonathan Haidt, right? It's right. Julian Mark, their brother and sister, they're on a vacation in France and they just decide to be really fun. Hey, why don't we have sex? They use two kinds of contraception. They do it. It brings them closer. Their relationship is improved as siblings, and they never do it again. And you ask the classroom, and this one, people are saying, no, 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 it's not okay. And I know for me, at least, my intuition against incest is stronger than my intuitions against chicken sex. So so what's interesting here is, as you said before, in most places discussed as a moral emotion, but what the the, the prototypically weird in that acronym sense person, like your your earnest student, who really is a sharp philosopher and thinks this through, is going to say, it's exactly structurally, it's exactly the same as the chicken example. So if Mm -hmm. I'm being consistent, I can't have any more objection to consensual incest where there's no, you know, there's no chance of reproducing, than I can against the, the dead chicken fucker. But the person who finds it wrong could throw any kind of reason at you. They could say... It's wrong because they're going to have yeah. deformed children. So, okay, well, they use contraception. So, use contraception. So, uh-huh. so, so it's not about the children. It's about the act itself. So you, you okay, well, it like, um, it's, it's incest, and there's always, like, this abusive power relationship. Incest is usually abuse. Well, usually it is. But in this particular case, remember, this is a thought experiment. So we can stipulate the truth of uh-huh. the criterion as we wish, which is why, in a way, they're useful, right? So, in this case... It is not an abusive power relationship. It is a loving, completely consensual engagement between two adults without any nefarious power dynamics. We can just stipulate that in a thought experiment to isolate. Again, it's just the act of incest that we want to know, is it wrong? And so like one of the, this is one of these interesting ones that people will give all these reasons and then at the end of it, all their reasons are defeated, Mm -hmm. but they're still left with this feeling that, all the same, even if no one's getting hurt and you're not going to have deformed babies and this and that, like, 
That's wrong. So what's interesting about what you've said there is precisely that people will try and keep giving reasons, right? Because And what that's telling you is that they feel the disgust emotion and they're trying to rationalize it. They're trying to find reasons mm-hmm. that justify their emotion of disgust. It's not they have reasons and therefore they feel disgust. It's they have disgust in, like immediately as a sort of strong, overwhelming response. Mm-hmm. And then they want to be able to justify that once you push them on it. Although usually people just have the emotion and, and that's all that's going on. What's interesting in the case of the really sort of sharp and very weird philosophy undergraduate student is they will, if they're, if they're generally being consistent, will admit, okay, well, like with the chicken, there's nothing, you know, I, I wouldn't do it, but there's nothing wrong here. Mm-hmm. But then what's, what we've discovered there is just how weird, weird morality is. Because if most human moral response is based yeah. on disgust, now you've got these cases of people who have removed disgust as a moral emotion. And, and that's a form of morality. But it's a really unusual form of morality. Maybe it's a superior one. Perhaps that's a separate argument. But it's really strange if you compare that to the default in human beings. Yeah, I like the um, kind of social science result that weird people are in the minority, etc. But I think philosophically more interesting is that friction you can get between people's moral intuitions that something is wrong and their common moral theories, their harm-based moral theories that we all reach for that don't really account for why they think things are wrong. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of Socrates. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's in some ways why, again, to go back to the Ring of Gyges, it is, it is such a good thought experiment because it, what it allows is for Socrates to, to do precisely that, to show people that they thought they knew something and it turns out they didn't know that thing. And they didn't understand their own beliefs and their own positions. Um, and, and, and again, that's why they can be useful. But, but again, they can also distort if they're not handled carefully. Absolutely. And at risk of not handling a thought experiment carefully, please forgive me, listener. Uh, let me try another case on you, Paul, because you're a weird guy. I mean, you're sympathetic to the people who condemn incest and chicken fucking, but you don't have those intuitions yourself so think about this same chicken situation curtains drawn the neighbors can't hear no one's ever going to find out is it morally wrong for a white man to put on blackface and say racist slurs in his own home yeah that's a really good one because in okay that's really good because I'm having a real like reaction to that <laughs> right? one. Like, and I was going to say, well, I think you're going to struggle here, Cliff, because I'm a pretty paid up liberal when it comes to you know, like, <laughs> yeah. in that sort of technical liberal individual rights, harm, like, you know, don't harm other people, do whatever you want. Like, but that one really like made me think, hmm, uh-huh. I don't think I am comfortable with that. And I'm trying to work out what it is, whether I have a defensible intuitive reaction in terms of no, because of this, that I can explain in terms of harm or disrespect or something, or whether it's uh-huh. just that I, I just think that behavior like that is fundamentally something you shouldn't do. Um, I guess you could say that, okay, so let's specify it. If it was done by somebody who is actually, you know, they secretly really, really want to join the KKK, but they're just too scared of being socially ostracized. You know, this is like uh-huh. somebody who actually wants to be publicly racist, but realizes that, you know, 
they'll be shamed on Twitter and fired. And so uh -huh. they, you know, they're scared. But so this is a way of them acting out their racist urges without being punished. Then I want to say, okay, that's clearly, I don't, that's not okay. Why? Because I disapprove of that person's underlying racism, right? But if it's somebody who does it, Okay, okay, okay. But if they hold back and they don't do it, they still have the underlying racism. Right. And I still object to them. But there's something about acting it out. I, I want to say there's a, they're, they're, they're gleefully indulging this racism. They, they want to own it, but the only reason they can't own it is because they don't want to be punished. So they're still, they're, they're still doing a bad thing because they're acting out on it. They're just damage limiting in terms of the blowback. Okay, what is the difference between acting out and just acting it out in your mind? Well, yeah, and, and I, I, so that's really interesting. And that gets us to something that I've actually written on for the website Aeon, which is called um, The Problem of Moral Luck. And why actually doing stuff seems to us morally worse than simply imagining uh -huh. it, or alternatively, attempting to do it, but because of some random consequence which you didn't you foresee you didn't actually weren't actually able to throw it follow through so for example okay okay before we go too deeply into uh the subtleties of moral luck we could do another episode on that um let's change up the parameters a little bit so say this person is not a closet kkk wannabe he just enjoys a weird kind of cosplay that involves blackface yeah. in the same way that your english posh people like dressing up as nazis sometimes even though they might not be Nazis. <laughs> so when when you when you do it like that, if it's just they just have a weird fetish for the costume play, and it doesn't betray any unsavory attitudes of race. Okay, say they have the unsavory attitudes. Let's say they're doing it because of unsavory attitudes, but they know that they don't want to hurt anyone. They're like, can I just enjoy? A little racism by myself. So no, the so so there, it's not going to so, hurt anyone. So here, I think we have actually found a distinction, right? If it's the second case, if they want to enjoy those unsavory attitudes, then insofar as I have a moral and political objections to people who have who take pleasure in racism like that, and they are uh -huh. doing so, then it's not okay. But if they just have a weird quirk where they like doing blackface because they know they shouldn't, and they actually don't have any views about black people, they just really enjoy doing blackface. Uh huh. No, I mean, this is very unlikely, of course, given what we know about the psychology of, of anyone who would want to put on blackface and, and, and do this. But let's stipulate, because we can do that. Cause it's a thought Careful what you say about my prime minister. <laughs> well, quite right. But, oh God, I forgot about that. Um, but, um, but let's say that they're a very weird psychological case where they just like doing blackface. They actually uh -huh. have not a racist thought in their mind and never have, not even subconsciously. In that case, I want to say, okay, it's weird. But it's a little bit like fucking the chicken, right? Because it, it, they're just uh -huh. a weird person who has a weird fetish for a certain kind of makeup. Now, if right. it turns out that they have that fetish because they've got some, some nasty attitudes towards black people, I'm going to change my moral response there and say there is something dodgy about this. There is something... Okay, so there is something dodgy. What I'm saying is give me the reason. Why is it dodgy for someone to have bad intentions that they do not act upon? I'll give you a different case. Um... And maybe you'll feel more comfortable talking about this than talking about race. There was a case in Canada this last year where a guy got arrested for, like, ordering a, a child sex doll. Right. So... What's wrong with fucking that doll? Yeah, so this is a bit like the incest question. And I, I think this, this one is... Um, 
is tougher for well maybe not tougher maybe because so when that case comes around it's interesting that people always go to oh well you know they'll probably graduate to having sex with real mm-hmm. children right or or you know that the doll was modeled on a real child who's like well no let's just imagine that the doll is just a doll and that this this pedophile only has sex with uh-huh. the doll never downloads any internet well, let's say that the doll let's take it further let's say the doll is their release mechanism that prevents them from acting out their impulses on right. real children or downloading real pornography in that case, I think I want to say that there isn't anything wrong with the doll. Right. Okay, great. So, but, that, but, that's, but, that, but that's more like the incest question. The, the racism question seems different to me. And I'm not quite what? sure why. <laughs> I'm not like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I see, so, but this you know, is why it's what good, we're this, doing. This is a good thought experiment, right? Yeah, it's a good, good thought experiment because I'm now realized that I have different intuitive kind of gut responses to these two cases. Uh-huh. And I'm not entirely sure I can explain why I have those different gut responses to those two different cases. But the sex law one, if you specify it tightly like that, looks to me like the incest case, looks to me like the chicken case. Race, the racist blackface guy doesn't, that, that seems to me different. And I'm not sure why. Like, we could strip away different parts of, like, maybe it's not blackface. Maybe he's just doing funny impressions. Maybe there's jokes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's it's a different kind of prejudice. So it's just about, like... So the, one of the things I want to pick up on what you said about the pedophile case, which is that... And, you know, this is implicit in all of these moral confounding cases. People are like, this this is just the the first step on a slippery slope to, you know, banging kids. Or uh, with any of these cases, like, they look for empirical reasons. They want to generate harm. They want to find exactly. victims, yeah. right? So, like, the incest case, they're like, uh, what about these unborn babies that are not going to be born? They're going to be deformed. You're wronging them. And I like to capture that moment because that's exactly the kind of thing to make people suspicious of their own reasons, right? Because, like, you feel something and you're just grasping at causes. And these are the kind of reasons you grasp for. And so all of these things, any, like, material, harm-based, obvious uh, utilitarian reason not to do something that people find morally disgusting, I'm suspicious of. Because people are just grasping for those reasons to justify their, you know, gut moral impulses. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and and, again, and and you think it's you, you, you're you don't have any gut moral impulses against fucking kids, just against being racist. No, I have gut moral impulses <laughs> against fucking kids. But if the doll is used people to stop people fucking kids, then it's much less clear to me that the doll is a problem, right? Uh-huh. And and maybe there's see you're already going. You're 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 like looking to harm in utilitarianism for an answer. Yeah, because I think something like pedophilia probably has to be understood in a consequentialist framework, right? Um, because the 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 bad in having sex with children, for me, lies in the awful harm that it does to the children. Um, mm-hmm. This is where again it's a little bit like the chicken example to me, because it seems to me that the mere act of intercourse with a child i don't have the taboo response to that in and of itself being and this is again why i'm weird right uh-huh. whereas most people would say no there's something about the act itself which is morally just just wrong and there's nothing else to be said here my sense is no what makes it wrong is that it's terrible for the child um in which case that if the harm to the children was being removed because the per- the pedophile is having sex with a doll instead there's uh-huh. an argument for giving pedophiles sex dolls. Okay, good. Excellent. Give pedophiles sex dolls. 
because we care more that children don't get fucked than that pieces of plastic that are shaped like children don't get fucked. <laughs> Fine. Now, I want to triangulate you back to our closed door racists mm. because we've taken the harm out of the example. And you tell me that pedophilia is understood in terms of harm to children, but you don't think that racism should be understood in terms of harm to oppressed people. Because I don't think the only moral wrongs are harms. I think there are other things that are morally wrong, and some of them can be attitudes that you have to other people. Wonderful. What are they? So thinking that members of another race are inferior simply because they're a member of another race is an attitude that I think is morally objectionable. Uh -huh. And anyone who has that attitude, then I have a moral objection to them. This is where I think there's an interesting difference with paedophilia, because I take it that most paedophiles have urges that they can no more control sexually than I can control my own sexuality. Uh -huh. They're just in the unfortunate position of being attracted to other living agents for whom there is no scenario in which mm -hmm. acting out those urges could be morally permissible given the harms that would be uh, inflicted upon those other people, those children. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about two different things. I think racism is an attitude towards other human beings, whereas paedophilia is a sexual orientation that is beyond conscious control and for which one shouldn't one shouldn't be held culpable for the mere sexual attraction. One should be held culpable for acting on the attraction. That should and correctly is a crime and is morally repugnant. Whereas I think that the attitude of racism is also morally repugnant, not just acting on that attitude. So that's that's so they're different they're different in that respect. Okay, so then having the racist attitudes behind <laughs> behind closed doors is morally equivalent to having them and acting on them. Like having them and not no, acting on them. What is acting on them add? It's less bad. Uh -huh. So acting on them adds a whole other set of wrongs, right? Which is that you're going to do bad things to other you're people. You're not. You're behind closed okay. doors. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. So, um, okay, yeah, yeah, no, so this is so this is an interesting point, which is why does dressing, yeah, maybe it's, given that it's behind closed doors, I'm much less bothered about it, right, mm -hmm. than if it was acting out in public. So, so there is already a gradation here. Um, I guess because it's still an, a, an outward manifestation of something which I would rather people didn't, a, ideally, uh -huh. they wouldn't have the attitudes full stop. B, if they are going to have the attitudes, I'd rather it was kept completely internal, uh -huh. at least as a, some kind of attempt to, 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 not in, to not bring that kind of thing out in the world. I would, I would think that the, the attempt to keep it purely internal is itself an improvement. Mm -hmm. right? Private acting out on it, dressing up in blackface simply in private... Well, okay, it's better than going out and doing it in the world, but it's still manifesting that attitude, even if just to oneself. It's still letting out a certain kind of attitude towards other people, which I think is a morally repugnant uh -huh. attitude. And okay, there's not going to be any harm in this You're situation. A, it's just less serious. No, this, I thought you but, said but, you were but, like but, a super so, liberal individualist kind of guy. I don't know. Now you want to get into people's brains. You don't even care what they do. <laughs> Attitudes that they may or may not have chosen, that they might have like contracted through the brainwashing washing it is of popular culture and implicit messaging and our you you grow up with these attitudes you can't necessarily help it you're, you're doing your yeah, best so not to like a, a, expose it to the real world or hurt anyone and um and yet still condemned yeah based on your uh, so, on your, on your so, attitudes so, so i actually think you bring, that's actually a really really important but difficult point actually i think that actually gets mm -hmm. to something really profound which is on the one hand i think it's correct that we should 
have moral judgments about other people's attitudes and we should feel strongly about certain kinds of attitudes and have mm -hmm. severe moral disproven for them. Racism is one, right? But I also think it's true that a lot of racists no more chose to be racist, mm -hmm. right? And this is maybe where the example with pedophilia like starts to break down to some degree. Uh, the, the, they no more chose to be racist than I chose to not be a racist because probably the attitudes started forming in them at uh -huh. a young age when they were subjected to various social pressures and forms of education that they didn't choose. And then you get into the question basically of free will and its compatibility with ethics. Because if you push all of this stuff hard, enough you will find that yeah nobody chose to have uh -huh. these. now you could still hold them culpable for not maybe trying to self-reflect on their attitudes and thinking well maybe these attitudes have unpleasant consequences and that maybe you should improve uh -huh. them. and you know i would like to say that non-racist attitudes hold up better to the facts as we know them about human life human society human suffering and that somebody who refuses to take those facts on board and change their views well that's a further moral problem but what you raise is an important point that these things go deep yeah well i don't want to go too deep down the road of free will and moral responsibility because that's a very philosophy department road that i personally <laughs> don't care that much about <laughs> but i am really interested in picking up your point about attitudes being wrong or especially how expressing attitudes could be wrong yeah because as you know, in my own research, I was really interested in disrespect, insult, the reasons people would get into duels, stuff like that. Things that are offensive. Yeah. And I think today, because the harm-based morality is so popular, people look at these insults, especially things that people call offensive, microaggressions, things like that, and they want to come up with some kind of harm-based reason for it. Yeah. So they say, oh... uh, they accumulate, they build up over time, and they're traumatizing, and they can cause emotional damage, and all that is true. It may be true, but I just want to say it's not necessarily true in every case. So, in essence, if someone makes a racist joke at my expense, I want to be able to explain why they're an asshole without necessarily trying to say that they harmed me. I'm not sure it would be about harm. It would probably be about respect. Okay. And harms don't need to simply be about um, physical or even psychological pain that one suffers. It could be about the status accorded to individuals um, in terms of their standing regarding others. And if one experienced repeatedly that kind of interaction, then one's status in society, and we all care deeply uh -huh. about our standing in the eyes of others, would not match up in the way that most of us would be happy with so so that seems to me an important thing that we'd want to bring in as well which isn't simply or straightforwardly understood as a harm absolutely i agree with you completely but that's because i think that respect and recognition are actually morally important and i think that we're actually in the minority here because people are beholden to this harm-based model of morality and so they'll say why are you getting so offended? It's just about status. It's just about your feelings, etc. There's no harm. There's no foul. And I think that issues of status and respect have a hard time fitting into the kind of paradigm of harm. And people on both sides are 
are beholden to this because if we allow respect, then we can explain why insults are wrong. But if we have to make it harmful, then just asking the question of what's wrong with harmless racism or harmless sexism is going to make some people's blood boil. But that's only because we're trying to force everything into uh, this paradigm of of harm. Yeah. Yeah, but and that's why I think the weird style rationalist morality is probably defective in various important ways because these other factors are important and we do need to find a place for them. And interestingly, that they will turn out to be important to us often in cases where we didn't realize that they were important to us, that they, that it isn't just that, you know, the people out there who haven't thought about philosophy very much have these kinds of thoughts about status, but we, the philosophers, are really just focused on, you know, reason and getting clear. Uh, it will turn out that actually what's doing the work in a lot of these cases will turn out for us as well to be much more bound up with these kinds of concerns than uh-huh. is often assumed. Yeah, and that is... One of my favorite things about these moral dumbfounding thought experiments is to find the parts, even in the middle of the minds and hearts of the rationalist, where they are not completely rationalist and they don't want to give up the intuition that they Good. have. And, 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 sometimes I, and I think sometimes that can be, it depends who you're trying to prove it to, because the really hardcore rationalists will, will go down with the ship right oh yeah, yeah. they They'll will just bite like you said, any bullet no matter how big yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then there comes a point where you kind of have to say well do you not realize that by biting so many bullets what you've what you've got left isn't anything that you might want to live according to that this mm-hmm. that you've lost a lot here and then and you may not be able to convince the bullet biter they may just can you know stubbornly go on yeah. but the rest of the class you know might be thinking well if that's what they, yeah. they claim morality mm-hmm. really is. I'm not sure that's what I want nice. from morality. That doesn't look like the morality for me. Nice. I, I like that point. And actually, I think maybe that's a good point for us to end on. The idea that being perfectly rational and utterly ruthlessly consistent does not necessarily produce the best, most satisfying moral philosophy. Um Unless you have something else to add about this set of thought experiments that we talked about today, no, I, I, I thought that was yeah. I think we got we got we got we got in some heavy stuff there. Like, what did we cover? Racism, uh, necrophilia, incest. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was pretty good for a, for a first run. I, th- all, I think all, all uh, the hits. I, huh? I think we've offended. We must have offended a lot of people. So I'm sure your Twitter feed will be alive. Nah, uh, I don't. I don't think we're uh, important enough for people to get that mad at us. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. And where can our listeners find you online if they need more Paul in their life? Uh, Hate mail can be directed via my website. If you just Google my name, Paul Sagar, uh, that's with an A, two A's. Um, S-A-G-A-R. Yeah. Uh, and King's College London. You'll find my faculty webpage, and then through there you can find links to things that I've done. And for listeners who aren't quite ready to jump in and read his whole book, Paul's got a lot of great essays on the Eon website, A-E-O-N. It's an online magazine. Lots of great stuff. Check him out there. And thanks again, Paul. Come back soon. Thanks very much, Cliff. See you. People say you use
Chicken likes to wear garter bells. 